0: I'm Julia Sherbikov and this is Impact Journey. Conversations with hidden heroes making big societal change.
1: In this long relay race of life, we're going to hand the baton on to somebody else and hope the work that we've done is appreciated and then can be built on.
0: How does a history professor end up in sports sustainability? And what can history and the intersection of different fields like sports and academia teach us about how to move the needle on issues like race and identity? Steven Ortega is a friend and collaborator. And in this conversation, we explore some of the challenges I've been thinking about in my own work. So first, a bit about his impact. So Steve is Associate Professor of History at Simmons University in Boston where he focuses on transnational contact, helping students see beyond traditional notions of geography, identity, and think critically and creatively about local and global challenges. At the same time, Steve is Director of the Global Sports Initiative at Harvard University where he brings sports figures and academics together from around the world to discuss issues like identity, gender relations, race, borders, and greater social welfare. In exploring his journey, there were two things that I've been struggling with that our conversation really helped me to see a bit more clearly. One is a lot of people working in social and environmental sustainability are coming from different fields, and Steve really talks through what does it mean to take the strengths of both disciplines, so in this case the visibility of sports and the rigor of academia, and how that's helped him to bring people together and advance the conversation. The other thing talking to him helped me see is often in these multi-generational challenges that we're tackling, seeing our place in history and talking to a history professor is obviously helpful for this, really helps us see our personal responsibility in the grand scheme of things and see what it really means to do work in this lifetime and then pass the baton to the next generation. So I hope you find this conversation as inspiring as I have. Here's Steve Ortega. So with you, I'd love to start with, well, you're technically in academia, but the stuff you're doing on the sports initiative also goes a bit beyond it. But even backing up well beyond that, how would you describe your entry point into these bigger issues?
1: Well, academia is funny in the sense is when you teach, you're forced to think about big issues because you're dealing with students who you want to expose to some of the most vexing problems of the day. So your first six years are spent trying to get tenure. They're jumping through all the hoops and doing what you have to do and publishing a book. And that book needs to be very, very narrowly focused.
0: Hmm.
1: You sort of come out into the sunshine after those six years. And if you've survived the process, you kind of look at the world and you say, hey, I need to make change. And that involves not being so narrow and thinking more broadly. And what was your book about so my book was about relations between Venice and the Ottoman Empire. Hmm. So I showed the ways in which the Mediterranean was a much more integrated place than people had originally thought.
0: Okay. And so after that, you z- zoomed in so much, but now you had a chance to finally zoom out because you I guess, just your job was secure.
1: Yeah. I mean, also, I teach at a place, you know, I was trained as a, as a historian of the Ottoman Empire. I mean, you can't necessarily teach a course at Simmons University where I teach on the Ottoman Empire. So I teach more broadly, I teach classes on Islam, I teach world history classes, I teach classes on global environmental history. So it sort of forced me to grapple with different subject matter to sort of answer the sorts of challenges and problems that we face today.
0: Huh. And is that your role? Because I imagine there's many professors and many history professors they're exploring the problems, but not necessarily thinking about solutions.
1: Well, history is not necessarily prescriptive, right? Right. It's not, it's descriptive. It attempts to analyze what's happened, but it doesn't necessarily say, let's take what's happened and better understand what we can try to do about it. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm a little bit different in that sense. I live in the world too, you know, I don't just teach. I see the world around me. So I'd like to think about what we can do.
0: So how did you get from your narrow research topic to more broadly kind of history and the role of humanity in the world now to a more active and activist role? So, for example, with the sports initiative, how did you get to that?
1: So the sports initiative, I I, I think where I'm at right now with the sports initiative, which sort of tries to understand the relationship between academia and the sports world, is that sports people have a much bigger megaphone. I mean, they're people who can speak to a much broader audience. I've realized that partnering with them can produce very productive results. And that's where I'm at today. It hasn't really formed a major part of my scholarship yet, but it's a direction I'm headed in.
0: What you've done there is you've created a link between academia and the sports world.
1: Which actually exists already less in the United States than in Europe and in Latin America and in Africa, like in the UK, for instance, it's considered a pretty serious subject of study.
0: That's interesting. Why do you think that is?
1: I think so take a place like England where football has been sort of embedded in community for over a century and football teams are thought of as clubs and not as franchises. Hmm. So there's a of kind of social responsibility to the particular town or city they're in. Uh, and that's a very different idea than having a franchise, which is essentially a business, which can at any given point in time just pick up and move.
0: Yeah. And actually, now that you say that, you've kind of got me thinking of the role of sports to society,
1: It's a complicated role. It's not one which you can kind of define narrowly. It's one that involves many, many different aspects of society. I mean, in the U.S. with the NFL, we saw the issue of race. Many NFL players ended up taking a knee at the national anthem because of violence against African-Americans in support of prison reform. Other issues that were pertinent to the African-American community. And in Europe, it might be something completely different. As you move from place to place to place, the politics of it shifts. We've had three conferences. The second one was on borders. Ah, okay. It was held in Athens, Greece. One of the issues was refugees. Hmm. Now, the reason that borders would be so important to the sporting community is because it necessitates open borders for players to go play in different places how academia, of course, looks at the issue of borders in terms of relationships of power, in terms of movement. So there's kind of the intersection of interests.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so so something for you that I'm super curious about is what is a... A history professor doing working on sports. Well, how do you bring what you know from history to this, and vice versa? What do you take from well, this? Well, think about
1: it for a second. Sports, of course, like everything else, has a history, right?
0: True.
1: I mean, think about. Let's take American baseball.
0: Hmm. There was
1: a time in American professional baseball where African Americans were not allowed to participate in the major leagues. There was a completely separate league for African Americans. Hmm. Now, in 1947, when Jackie Robinson joined the Dodgers, that barrier was broken. And since then, even though lots of bumps in the road and lots of problems, it wasn't until much later that a lot of teams took on African-American players. Uh, but that's a major historical development, yeah and a way in which questions of sort of integration and segregation and race relations and the study of race itself comes into play and into question. Uh, so there's that whole history there. I mean, sports is not separate from society. Sports is an aspect of society. Yeah, and sort of an indicator,
0: right, of what society is struggling with at that moment in I a way.
1: Think, I think so. I think it, we can kind of take the temperature of society by looking at sports. Hmm. It points to a certain emotional point in time. And that emotional point in time in some way is representative of what's going on in the larger society. So mm-hmm. being able to gauge that is important to understanding how sports can act as a barometer of, of other social issues.
0: Oh, that's interesting. And so what are you seeing now, kind of taking the pulse or the barometer, or the temperature, <laughs> if you will, well, of society I think, you know, as the
1: big issues? Was, so the leader of this movement to uh, to take a knee, Colin Kaepernick, ended up without a job.
0: Exactly. And so kind of one is it, it elevates these issues. And two is it shows us how far along we are the reaction to those issues, right? So like you said, the reaction to Kaepernick also then tells us where we as a society.
1: The reaction is one thing, but that we can actually have the debate. It's really important, I think, first to talk about the issues.
0: Well, exactly. And I think if anything, I mean, that he's done is start the conversation or, you know, just jumpstart the conversation. It's an
1: ongoing thing. I mean, one of the things about, I think, participating, you know, Taking on some, some sort of, a, if, if not an activist role, a participatory role in the world is you're never going to complete your work. You're going to hand the baton to somebody else, and that person is hopefully going to be able to build on whatever work, you know, that one has done with the understanding it's probably not going to happen in one's lifetime.
0: Exactly. Well, it's funny. So you just basically raised the main challenge that everyone I've talked to is dealing with which is all of these things we're dealing with are (laughs) Mm multi-generational. We'll see change, hopefully incremental change, hopefully something that is tangible that we can feel good about, but we're not going to completely solve the problem in our lifetime. So I'm curious for you, how are If ever. (laughs) Well, if ever, exactly. And so this is also why I was so curious to talk to you because you have the historic view on this more of a zoomed out view of this so I'm curious kind of given your view of history and given your view of this point in history how do you see your role what's the thing you're going to do and then pass the baton
1: I think my biggest role right now is to be a facilitator of conversations hmm. discussions hook people up who wouldn't necessarily talk to one another build coalitions across boundaries we've we've had at these conferences transatlantic discussions which mm-hmm necessarily have taken place in other forums Uh, hopefully to help to have be informed by other people I mean that's really important to me I mean I you know have my understanding of the world but learning from others and just thinking of the world as a place where anytime you speak to somebody else anytime that you decide to become involved in a particular issue the potential for change exists It doesn't mean it's gonna happen I mean, a lot of life is kind of trying hundred times, ninety-nine nos and one yes. <laughs> but you, can, you have to live with those percentages. There's a beauty in sort of thinking about certain religious traditions, which embrace this idea of personal responsibility—that your own religious beliefs also reflect your desire, your need, and your sense of responsibility towards making the world a better place. Mm. And by accepting that, you won't necessarily change the world, but it's accepting your own role in trying to do it. And I think there, there's something very important in thinking that way. And that is that you, you do something because you feel a heartfelt need to get involved. And there's no guarantee that you're going to end up with the result that you want. But it doesn't mean that you don't do it.
0: I love that because it's actually your view of history almost gives
1: you the patience to deal with. (laughs) with (laughs) You know, I mean, if there's a tension, I mean, you have to be a little bit realistic. And at the same time, you don't want to lose your enthusiasm and your hope.
0: So what gives you hope? How do you... How do you keep that going?
1: I meet a lot of good people like you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because as I said, you don't know the the connections you're going to make, how those will end up influencing an outcome that you had no idea was going to take place.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's funny because you said two very different things about people and working with people. One very positive, one, one very frustrating, right? There's this really exciting thing that people have, especially when you find people who intersect in very unexpected ways and magical things come out of that. On the other hand, you were saying there's the hard thing in dealing with people, especially in what you're trying to do, bringing lots of them together, is that each of them has a different agenda and trying to align those agendas. And that's
1: one of the things that this has taught me. Don't take it personally. When somebody says no, or somebody doesn't get back to me, or, or I don't end up with a result that, you know, maybe I wanted. Just move on. Hmm. You know, it's like a river that meanders, right? That snakes around and goes in different directions. You, You do that by just staying sort of focused on whatever the...
0: The current. The current. Yeah. And was that... I mean, I'm curious what also shifted the focus of this for you right from being the conversation between bigger entities to actually getting players and getting them involved it sounds like that was also you following the current of this river right from what i understand so, is yeah yeah
1: i mean a lot of it's are- so when we had the conference in athens on borders
0: mm-hmm. a regular
1: a- academic conference if you put it on twitter or you know you put it on on instagram or something you might have 100 people who respond to it this conference had 10,000 people respond
0: oh wow and what was it about it? Why do you think that was?
1: Athletes. Athletes, yeah, just football. There are more people who follow it than follow any academic Instagram, you know, or, or Twitter account.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and to be honest, it, it, it kind of goes both ways, right? Because I think on the one hand, the athletes help you get the message out there to more people than otherwise an academic conference would be able to do. But on the other hand, I think there's this other dynamic happening right now too, right, where athletes actually are, that they're asking themselves these questions and you, yes. you give them the way to
1: explore them. Well, think about it. Many athletes have crossed borders. Many athletes have sort of played in different countries. Many athletes have been put in complicated situations, whether in regard to race or ethnicity. So they've sort of experienced the world in this way. And hearing their stories are incredibly compelling.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So maybe we help them frame it within an academic context, but their stories are the real primary sources, the real sort of lived experience. You map those stories onto a larger social landscape and you'll see that their stories are not just the stories of sports, their stories are the stories of the world.
0: Yeah. So going back to what you were originally saying in terms of your moment in time now, in in the grander scheme of history, this role of facilitator and that link is really, that that makes a lot of sense, actually.
1: I hope. I think the other thing is, in these relationships that you enter into, they're all going to be different. You know, there's a whole different chemistry, there's a whole different set of social circumstances, background, and I think if you can provide comfort to the other person in some way that will facilitate things much better. You know, we work more effectively when we're emotionally connected to people.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. I mean, I think what you just said applies to getting anything done anywhere. Because whatever we want to get done, especially if it's this bigger change we were talking about, you've got to get other people involved and to have them involved in, in a way that it's makes unav- sense. It's
1: unavoidable. It's unavoidable. And like, I, I think, you know, one of the things in academia that I've sort of learned is when you teach, you a lot of times have center stage. You're up. Yeah. Giving a lecture, whatever, and I think there's something a little bit addictive about that. People are listening to you, you think your ideas are, you know. <laughs> it can be a little bit of a vanity exercise. And I think you always want to be reminded of that and make sure that, that your students understand that they need to be center stage, or also when dealing with other people. Mm. You've you got to kind of seed whatever emotional needs that you have to let others feel as if they're participating at the same level.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I love that. Actually, in a way, this is another way how your academic background helps you be this facilitator of yeah. of conversations. Right? It's not just the history and the fact that it's academia bridging to another field, but it's the fact that like you are able. I think that's what makes you really good at this. Um, Thank you. It, it's what you know, enables you to bring in these really different fe- people with really different perspectives. And that's why I think what makes you also good at what you we were saying earlier about going with the flow, adapting and not being too fixed in one way of doing it, because you can read what the other people need and adjust accordingly.
1: Yeah, I think what I need to learn a little bit better, I think, you know, when you're trying to do something, you think I need to be aggressive in, in doing it. And I need to be able to read better when is the right moment to step in and ask for something. Mm-hmm. You know, when can you ask a favor of somebody? I think there's a timing in these things. And if you're overly aggressive with it, sometimes it doesn't work out. But if, if you're careful in the way that you develop the relationship, the chances of success are greater.
0: Yeah. And that takes time, too. Yeah. To build.
1: No, not something that, you know, that doesn't happen over a week or two. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is why the stuff we're working on is multi generational, right? <laughs> I,
1: I think we both agree we're not going to solve it. <laughs> we're just going to be facilitators in this long relay race of life. We're going to hand the baton on to somebody else and hope the work that we've done is appreciated and then can be built on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's the satisfaction is in the journey, not the destination. Right we've got our role in this little time frame right in the grand scheme of
1: things. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But that you know that that takes off the pressure because like we've had to do it for thousands. Yeah. Years. It's not like Sisyphus rolling up the stone up the hill. You know, yeah. We only have to do it for maybe a maximum of 100 years if we're incredibly lucky.
0: Yeah, true. <laughs> Good. Well, thanks for that
1: perspective. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, this is great.
0: big thanks to steven ortega you can find links to his profile and his work on the global sports initiative in the show notes this has been impact journey see you next time